Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 2, Episode 19. Today we are talking about the next book in our First Law read-along, The Heroes by Joe Abercrombie. And joining me and Liana is a special guest, Hillary from Bookborn Reviews. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me on to talk about The Heroes. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to introduce yourself a little bit for people who don't know you and for anyone who's interested, Hillary's YouTube channel will be linked in the video description or in the show notes. Yeah, um, I run the YouTube channel Bookborn where I talk all things fantasy, Um, usually not necessarily reviews, but things like tropes or analysis or explorations of themes and commonalities between all things fantasy awesome. So we're here to talk about the heroes, second of our standalones. Uh, Liana, how many times have you read this now? This is my third time. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nice. <laughs> this is an, another new one for me. And I'm curious to hear what everybody thought. I mean, Liana, I know you've read this before. This is probably like, I liked it more than I thought I would, but I still think it's probably my least favorite. Oh. This was like maybe in contention for my favorite. Really? Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and which is funny because I really did not want to read this. I was like, I don't want to read this. I'm not going to like it. And Leanna, yeah, Leanna was like, trust me, you'll like it. Just in fairness, it. you didn't really think you would like Abercrombie before you read Abercrombie. I mean, that's true too. But Best Served Cold really let me down. I didn't really like Best Served Cold. So I was feeling, you know iffy just about the scandalous to first law it's just opposites are true whatever you think you know or think you will feel trust that it will be the opposite so that means you will hate the age of madness trilogy because you're excited for it uh, bummer <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm looking forward to it's funny because i really, really liked best served cold but i thought i would really not like this and i liked it better than i thought i would so but still not not my favorite and liana how is it having read it multiple times at this point well i feel I mean, I don't want to take credit, but I'm going to take credit for the fact that you guys like it as well as you do, because I didn't know anything about it before I read it the first time, just that it's a first law book and it's the next one after Best Serve Cold. And so I, w- I did not know that it would be as plotless as it is. And I did not know that it would just be like three days of battle. That's it from tons of perspectives. Like I, t- I did not know that. And I think it really does help to know that. I don't know if you go into it expecting something like Best of Cold, something like the trilogy where there is like a plot arc and like a thing we're working towards and a thing that we're collectively attempting to achieve or working against trying to achieve, you know, a story. <laughs> if you go into it looking for that, you're going to spend the whole book looking for it and finish it and be like, well, what it didn't happened? happen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first time I read it, I was like, I mean, like the, the things that I like about Abercrombie are obviously there. Like I laughed and I thought a lot of it was incredibly clever and, you know, action packed. But the whole time I was like, where's the plot? Will one materialize? I guess not. So then like coming to, first of all, having read it once, then you know what it is forevermore, but also coming to like learn more just in general, what his what he was attempting to do with it. It wasn't that he like forgot to have a plot. Like he wasn't really ever planning on having one. So like, it's not like he tried and failed. That was not something he was trying to do with this book. So then like, even the first time that I reread it, I was like able to appreciate it a lot more on its own terms, which is important picking up any book, you know, knowing what it is. If you're the wrong audience for it, you're going to hate it. Or if you're expecting something that that isn't, you're going to hate it. So I like it a lot more now, the second and third times, because like, I know what it is and I know what it's trying to do. So I can judge it based on that. 
Yeah, I do think it helped knowing for me going in exactly what I was going to get, which was like people told me it covers three days. It's battle, but don't worry. It's not too much battle. I just, I historically, I hate battle scenes. I just like my eyes across and I'm just like, I just don't even care. Mm-hmm. Um, but people warn me like it's more about the in-between. And I'm I'm always a sucker for a book of ideas. And for me, for all the Abercrombie I've read so far, this, this isn't a, a plot book, like Leanna said. It, it's a book of ideas. It, he had an idea. He had something to say about war and both sides in his universe. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'm definitely glad that I knew what it was going in because same, I think I enjoyed it more that way. And I'm also not usually that big on battle scenes. Sometimes, like there are some authors who can make me like a battle scene, but it's harder to do. And uh, so I'm glad that there wasn't as much as I was thinking with this. It was, yeah, like the ideas piece of it was interesting. His characterization is always interesting and there's funny moments. I think, and I'd be curious to hear other people's experiences. I think for me, this felt like too many characters and too long. And that for me still kind of detracted from my feelings about it. And I get that this was maybe whatever the pro and and Leanne, I feel like you've said before that he had a specific project in mind of what he was trying to do with this, and so I, I don't I don't remember. I'm so glad you people. brought that up because I also felt like there was a lot of characters, and sometimes it took me a moment to remember which side the characters were on, and I. Lena, you can win. I thought it might be intentional because, like, halfway through the book, I was like. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember who's on whose side. I've got to like, it takes me a second to be like, oh, Craw's on this side and and these Northmen are on that side, the Union. And I was like, well, is that a, a statement about how like literally pointless <laughs> this war is? Like you can't even keep track of whose side is who because they all have similar goals and they're all people and you just have no idea. So that might me be me over explaining it, but like that's what I started to feel was like, Maybe I'm supposed to take a second to remember because it's like furthering that narrative in this book, which is really like this whole thing was pointless. Yeah, well, I mean, he was, uh, he has said often that he's as influenced by film as he is by literature, and that like there are a lot of war movies, older ones in particular, like Quiet on the Western Front, Bridge Over the River Kwai, and things like that, that kind of just show war and mm-hmm. don't show necessarily like, um, it's not a story the way that like Gone with the Wind is, but that has like war in it. That's like literally just about this day of battle, these days of battle and mm-hmm. shows everybody who's involved and affected by it. And I do feel like the heroes is even more cinematic than a lot of his previous books are. And in general, he has a kind of mm-hmm. a cinematic touch to how he writes things, but like that one more than the others feels like you could easily, this could be a movie the way we jump around from perspective to perspective. And I do think you're right. I don't think that like, his explicit thesis is that like you can't tell which side is which but the way that he jumbles them all together it's very clear that no one knows what we're fighting about and that when you look at a war even like you know epics that about the civil war at the top is when you have this disagreement but if you're a soldier who's like in the trenches you're no different from the soldier who's wearing a different color from you on the other side of the trenches and so you're all hungry confused scared, don't understand your orders, are avoiding your orders, don't have the supplies you need, have too much of the supplies you need. Like, it's just like a logistics mess at that point is that that's all war is, is like a bunch of people running around 
not knowing what they're supposed to do or avoiding what they're supposed to do. And it's just a disaster on, on every side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting too, is you get a lot of things of like people taking credit for things they didn't actually do or, you know, people being sort of lauded as heroes for not really doing much of anything. And I just think it's interesting the way it sort of pulls apart the the sort of heroic ideal of soldiers and warriors and everything. And I think he does that through the entire book. Oh, I yeah. think that's, you know, I had talked a little bit Look on my channel before. Because of the title and the place that they're doing it in. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's very explicit in this <laughs> one. But he's, he's very into the anti-hero journey. Not in, I don't say that lightly because everyone's into an anti-hero. I mean, legitimately, like, what happens, you know, after you're the hero or what happens when you're trying to make these changes and it doesn't work. And it's just something I'm so, so interested in. And it's one of the reasons, you know, Cross story in particular was very heartbreaking for me as a character I really liked. Explain that. I don't know. Are we doing spoilers? Not yet. Okay. We will. We will. But we're... I don't yeah. think that spoils what I just said. I don't think okay. that spoils anything. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's very interesting. And, and Leanna, just like as you brought up, I love how the war, like the battle starts. Like it's literally like one day someone wanted the heroes and the other person's like, well, we want this. And then it was like, we need to take that hill. And, and already it was just like such a brilliant, brilliant. This book point. is literally about people choosing a hill they're going to die on. Right. <laughs> yes. There's a line in the beginning of the book that says that, like, this isn't the hill you want to die on. And I, I, I think it's one of the funniest lines in all of Joe Abercrombie's thing. It was just like so poetic. And such a mission statement for the whole book in such a hilarious way. Yeah, just good. Yeah. One thing I think is interesting with what you said about sort of the anti-heroes, you literally have a moment, and I won't get into too much too much detail about who, because, you know, spoilers and stuff, but you have a moment where there's somebody who, who you know, people have died, and somebody's like, I thought I wanted to be a hero, and like, I, I'm not, and he's like, well, this person was a hero, and he's dead, look where it got him, you know, and it's, it's just interesting that, like, the people who win or survive or come out on top aren't necessarily the people who are actually heroes i mean he has lines like that in all of his books it's not yeah. in the heroes i'm pretty sure i think it might be in red country but because this happens in all the books it's they i I'm, it's hard to remember yeah. which book yeah. it's in but there's a line that's like history is littered with dead good men you know that same idea of like people worrying about being a good man and you're like well yeah it's not gonna get you far well or like Baez saying sort of you know i can find heroes everywhere they're a dime a dozen it takes it's harder to find a ruler or somebody who will actually like do what i tell them to do yeah i low-key reading this don't want Baez to win i can't i'm just like i kind of want somebody to and i don't know if ever anybody else feels that way but i'm like i kind of want to see somebody else like get their way just because you're so convinced you can always get yours i love Baez as a villain so i hope he keeps winning uh, no i he's a terrible he's one of the most well, terrible people i've what ever you read just said is like and not just bias, but like that is the experience of reading First Law because you're not rooting for anyone. You're mm -hmm. rooting for them to be on the page because you like reading about them. But like, if you can't really say, oh, I'm I'm rooting for them because like they're doing terrible things. So mm -hmm. no, I'm not rooting for that. But God, I hope they survive because I love reading about them. <laughs> it's just like, it's the most interesting thing. It's like, mm -hmm. I've just never read. I think he's one of the most chilling villains, you know, I've read because it's just like total power. Yeah, I always want to see him on the page. I agree with you. It'd be nice if someone could give it to him every once in a while, mm -hmm. but it's also fun to see him just yeah. totally destroy.
Yeah. And he doesn't always get his way at it. Like he will ultimately get his way, but like mm-hmm. along the way he does stumble and you can see when he loses his cool because things did not go the way he wanted. True. Cause you can't always predict people. <laughs> so, which is also why like he also, he has that kind of like Moriarty quality of like, well, my backup plans have backup plans. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this plan fell through, but that wasn't the only one I had in the works. So, I mean, okay. Are we doing spoilers? Sure. Yeah. Since we're talking about bias, since he's mm-hmm. that's already kind of spoilery. Yeah. Um when he's like having that talk and and he's like, Well, then which was Shivers part of the plan as well? He's like, No, Shivers was a happy accident. That was not part of the plan. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes stuff just kind of works out. <laughs> yep. So did you guys interpret it that Baez was really the cause of the in- both sides of the war? Because I interpreted that he wants them to go to war and it doesn't matter why. He just needs people to be fighting so that people are at war. That was ultimately how I interpreted the whole thing. I was just curious if that was my own or if other people thought that as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think he that's partly the case. But I also think there's more going on than just that. Because he's also... He and what's her name? The uh, the lady from wrapped in like bandage things. What's her name? Oh, oh, one of the eaters. Uh, Ishri? Yes, Ishri. Yeah, because him and Ishri are sort of using people in the war as pawns to further their own war between their sides in some ways, too. And so I don't know. I think I just I, it feels like it's sort of there's a larger game happening. Well, they're all, it's like, you know, it's like a proxy war. Right. Like, they're they're just using different, so, like, I mean, uh, Baez had control of the North via Bethod back when he had a deal with Bethod. But then Bethod's not in charge anymore, so he doesn't have control of the North. And you know how does have control of the North? Not only is it someone that he doesn't have control over, but his nemesis has, like, sunk her claws into that person. So it's doubly important to get control of the North. And so the Dogman and his Northmen already have a claim to the north and are loyal to the union so it behooves Baez to make sure the union prioritizes like reclaiming the north so that he regains power over that area right and then in the end he kind of even if the war is a stalemate goes in and kind of tries to get control over the north again i think what ultimately was interesting is just like the people actually fighting the war though they, they were pawns. This was a chess game. Right. And right. the people who yeah. suffered the most weren't the people who really were gaining any, you know what I mean? Gaining yeah. anything from it. Which, like, I mean, I think the the voice of the reader for a lot of the book is um, Finry and how she's, uh, you know, and when they talk about making peace and about how, like, well, you couldn't have made peace on day one and then everyone else didn't have to die since we were just going to agree to disagree anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, because you have to make people think that what they're doing matters, I guess. And it's part of like this facade. Yeah. It is interesting because you also see like there are people who are willing to kind of do anything to further their own agenda, even if it means hurting the people around them. And Baez will work with that. I mean, those are people that are after, uh, after, or they're kindred spirits. Like, Baez right. is like, I know how you think. We can work together. Yep. But, like, speaking of Finry, I think this is a, a great example of Abercrombie doing women well. Because Finry is not, um, I feel like I complain all the time, and I'm not the only one, about female characters that are either 
put in situations that are like absurd, you know, where the men around them are like, you are a woman and therefore you're stupid. And you're just like, okay, like people don't actually like come out and say something like that usually, <laughs> or women in the stories being the ones saying, excuse me, you're only saying that because I am a woman. And you're just like, well, don't talk like this. They don't, that, that's not a thing. So like, I feel like the way that the men around Finry treat her and the way that Finry reacts to that it like it checks out so much like she seems like an independent minded woman in a world that isn't especially feminist but it's not impossible to get her way either because she is born into privilege and has some modicum of power so like watching all of the different interactions she has and how she when she like can't help herself and like sticks her foot in it and then is like mm -hmm. what her husband is like couldn't you have just been you know you could have gotten your way you know we could have helped people if you had just you know said what you i know it hurts you to say but if you had just like bowed and scraped and just agreed and said they're right you know we could have actually helped people and she's like you're right <laughs> <laughs> i really liked finry she was a good addition for me in the heroes just i really liked her whole storyline and the same reason you know and she goes out and i forget who she talks to and he's like shut up i know exactly what you're doing like and she gets ashamed like it was just it was the right amount you know she was conniving but like also she wasn't one of those characters who gets everything she wants. And so it was just very interesting. But also yeah. that guy is exactly the idiot that she said he was because two yes. seconds later, he completely fails at leading the people he's supposed to lead. And she's like, told like, you so. <laughs> this isn't, I mean, I'm in danger now, so I'm not happy that I'm proved right, but. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think in general, I'm like a lot less bothered than you are by the books that do the overt feminist thing. <laughs> I'm okay with that too, but I did enjoy Fenry as a character and I thought she was interesting. I love the fact that like she gets kidnapped and ends up like getting free and convincing blacked out to, to like free 60 prisoners as well I was like but even that is a okay. thing where like it sounds really impressive after the fact but she didn't really do anything to escape like she she did have to she did negotiate for the release of other prisoners right but like they were gonna send her back anyway <laughs> like it wasn't really that she That's like true. you know it was a daring escape right or like that. yeah like, it sounds just like with all of the heroic exploits of a battle like this, hers included, mm -hmm. the telling of it sounds, and then like later to the same thing with Gorst, where it's like, originally like people who saw it, he killed five men. And then later on that day, it was 10 men. And then by the evening, it's probably he killed the whole army single-handedly. <laughs> like the story just grows with every telling. Right. I guess kind of with that too, one thing I appreciated is that he's able to like we know that elise is in a bad situation and is probably being assaulted and whatever but like we don't have to see it all on the page it's something i've said about abercrombie again and again and again which is that he actually never shows assault on screen because there's some in the first trilogy and even though he is not shy about doing sex scenes he has mm -hmm. never done an on-screen assault it has always fade to black or off screen yeah. and it's something i appreciate so much about mm -hmm. him as an author because he's proving that you can write dark and gritty novels without having to be edgy or try to um you know take advantage of those difficult things and he can get his point across without doing that and it's just something i'm always gonna sing his praises for because i think it's just like a really good example for the grim dark subgenre yeah, I mean, as a whole. To, to rely on essay to make your story grim dark is lazy writing. And for people to say, well, 
it's grimdark. What'd you expect? And you're mm-hmm. like, well, you don't actually have to have that. Like, I'm not saying that you can't have it if it, like mm-hmm. the story necessitates it. Right. But if you're just like, how do I make it dark? How do I make it dark? Hmm, I know. Let's have a woman assault. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not, that's not how to write. He, I think he like thinks about novel. it. He thinks about it. Yeah. Yeah. And he thinks about what needs to be shown and what doesn't need to be shown. Like, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, he puts thought into it. Yeah. Well, and it's not that it doesn't exist. It's realistic in that, like, it certainly happens, but it's and not I mean, like. Use a film comparison. Like, I think a lot of what he does has that kind of like Hitchcockian, like, whatever I don't show you is more impactful than what I do. So, mm-hmm. like, just having Finry kind of sit with, like, she doesn't actually know what's going on. She doesn't right. actually know what fate befell her, but that he keeps showing her sitting with the, like, knowledge and, like, her m- imagination running wild you know, I know I left her to a terrible fate and I can only imagine how bad it is. And whatever you imagine is way worse than anything that if I cut to that scene and showed it to you, like it would be awful and we'd have to sit through it. But just the, the chilling effect of like knowing it's happening, knowing it's probably happening and you get to picture the extent of it is it's, it's going to be more chilling that way, more effective. Yeah. It was interesting seeing shivers in this book (laughs) because you see shivers in his final form. Yeah, it's it's. In, I mean, he's come such a long way from the the young kid in the first I law trilogy. Broken nine fingers because he killed my brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even from the last book, I mean, we kind of saw the beginnings of his evolution, but he's just everything's so like kind of grim and serious in this one. But it's interesting because there's the moment where, you know, he tells Calder, "If you get an opportunity, take it," because he didn't take it and obviously regrets that yeah reading the heroes made me understand liana why you had told me that best of cold is actually shiver's story and even though i didn't love best of cold i wonder if i went back into a reread of best of cold as it being shiver's story and not mm-hmm. monza's story if i would feel differently about that book because hmm. um, i agree bethany it's just it's, it's sad it is <laughs> it's yeah. really sad to see shivers in the heroes yeah but it's also i just the way that he becomes this character that like the moment you see the name on the page like you're just like dun, dun, dun. like <laughs> and the fact that like he could um write a character that you, you first, it's not like uh, usually characters like that are not maybe not necessarily usually but oftentimes you know very little about them they're enigmatic they just appear on the page and like that's what makes them so you know biased to some degree is that way you like you know not that much about him he's a wild card and that's what makes him chilling on the page well you've seen shivers as like a punk kid who's like and you know the origin of his name and it's not particularly like fear and inspiring like you Mm -hmm. saw him at his lowest and yet you even though you've seen all of that from his character when he steps on the page when he comes into a scene from the heroes onward you're like call shivers and like the way everyone reacts to him and the way that like he used to be kind of like chatty and kind of talk about his life and his like theories on stuff and now he barely says a word and when he does it's something like cutting and cynical and yeah. he's got that metal eye that doesn't even have a painted eyeball on it anymore. And they have like, they ask him about like, has he considered an eye patch? And he's like, well, it makes me uncomfortable. The only reason to wear one is to make other people comfortable to look at me. And what do I care about that? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. <laughs> and you know, the scene where he stabs that guy over and over and over again, <laughs> a darker scene. It just like, I kept calling back to like the beginning of Best of Cold when he like, comes out and he's like, oh, I'm going to be different. Right. And life's going to be great. And then you yeah. just see that scene and you're like, well, 
Here we are. And I love too how like uh, Abercrombie sets up what in a, in another book you would have. Well, Hillary won't understand. Actually, you won't either. The Clegane Bowl meme of like Game of Thrones, how like the Clegane brothers have this rivalry. Everyone's like they're gonna fight by the end of the show, and it was terrible when they actually had it happen. But it's this you know like long-standing rivalry that you like you keep building it up, and like they had the show had to do it because people kept talking about oh it's gonna happen. But so the way that throughout this book, like the way that Gorst is so mad about how he lost his position because of what happened in Besser Cold. And when he, and we know Shivers was around for that. And when he spots Shivers and he's like, were you ever at Cardani's house of leisure? In his wonderful high-pitched voice. <laughs> and Shivers is like, never, never heard of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what he's going to say. You're just like, are they about to fight? Is this about to? And he's just like, <laughs> yeah that was there's a lot of good moments with gorse too at mm-hmm. the end when he gets the letter and mm-hmm. it's predated to anything he did yeah uh, oh that's just painful and and to your point liana like also his obsession with finry like never goes anywhere because this is life <laughs> and like someone's yeah. obsession doesn't get to end in like you getting together like well, you just and, it's, and, and, well and also it's creepy <laughs> it's creepy like it oh, like the way he thinks of her creepy. is so creepy so it shouldn't you know and it's oh please, I don't know. to be clear i didn't want oh anything yeah to happen between them it, it actually was that was probably one of the most chilling perspectives because you're like great has anyone thought of me that way like when he's thinking that way and you're just like you don't know she doesn't yeah. know so you really don't that read way. Yeah. do you what <laughs> So you really don't read your comments, do you? (laughs) I have my comments heavily filtered. (laughs) Thank heavens. Um, We are on the internet. There's guaranteed someone thinking terrible things. That's my point, Diana. I don't like it. I don't like the Abercrombie's so good at writing it. I don't like it. Like, I don't have to like it. I just thought that, like, because Gorst is, um, the heroes we have actually quite very few in Besser Cold we had Casca and, and Shivers and some familiar faces that we could kind of like latch onto. The Heroes has really barely anybody because Shivers is in it but like not really. It's mainly Gorst and like Gorst you know who he and is bias. he's not really but in terms of characters you're following. Because mm-hmm. we don't like, even get very much Dogman at all. Yeah no. like he's no. in it. <laughs> but so like Gorst is like the one character that you like know the best and see the most like he's like your character that like I know this guy this is familiar to me it's just that like you've always seen him from the outside you've always Mm. seen him doing stuff and maybe felt bad for him because he did get cheated out of that victory over he's always getting cheated (laughs) getting cheated over in that victory over Giselle when he clearly should have won that duel but Baez cheated and to get this like peek under the hood at like what is going on in Gorst's mind all this time, then if you ever go back to reread First Law, Gorst is around quite a bit. And every time you see him, you're like, I know more about you than I want to know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're... Mm. Yeah. He's he's kind of a creep. Which was funny because someone wrote on when I was talking about how much I love this book, they're like, yeah, I was so sad for Gorst. I was rooting for him. And I was like, well... I like reading about Gorse, but can't really say I was rooting for him. No. I'm going to be honest. He kind of mm. was creepy, but okay. <laughs> At the same time, though, like as in terms of both the real world of the scheme of things and in terms of first law, Gorst thinks pretty awful things. But in terms of what he does, he never actually does anything. Like he doesn't act on that. So like, in t- like it's, you know, people say you it's a good thing we can't read people's minds because if you could read people's thoughts, probably wouldn't be having a good time but like that is usually like the that's the line we draw that like you can think whatever you want to think but you're choosing not to act on it is kind of 
the line that we we draw. I, and the, he thing, the thing with him though is that it's is it really that he's choosing not to act? No, it's that he's too scared to act, which is a different thing. You know what I mean? Like there's for me there's a difference between a character who like thinks stuff and then is like, yeah, but I know that that's not like actually is for for him. I think it's more that he's too scared. And the moment when he finally does say something, <laughs> it's like. I mean, I was glad it like didn't go well for him, but I just, I don't know. I mean, and like, I, I love the fact that like who... this whole time he's like, if I can just show what a good fighter I am and be this hero, like that's going to be the thing that's going to like get attention for me. And when he finally talks about it, she's like, you're a monster. <laughs> like, I thought you were a good man. You just want to kill people. Forget that. There's people that like he's scared because he cares what people think about him and he cares what she thinks of him. There's like there are creeps that like are like I'm entitled to this they secretly want it no matter what they say and will act on whatever feelings they're having I mean, like he doesn't he's he not that worse. so he could be worse <laughs> he's a little delusional but he's <laughs> I always do interesting about Abercrombie as I find the characters I dislike the most are actually technically the people who have done the least worst things like in the first trilogy like Jezel, I just hated him at first. Well, like in the first book, you're just like, Jezel's the worst. He's like that sexist play. Everyone knows him. I hate him. And it's like, well, I got Glockta right there. But I'm like, it's fine. He's just torturing people. He's not sexist like Giselle. And it's like, clearly Giselle is, has the moral high ground in like the first book, you know? like He, he hasn't really is, done anything bad to anybody. No, <laughs> he's, he's just, just like brick. really obnoxious. He's a prick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I do think it's funny how like, Gorse, like you said, Liana, like his actions of all the people aren't the worst. So it's just interesting how like Abercrombie can turn it in a way that makes you dislike. The I think it's kind of one of those things like, well, those are the people we feel like we've interacted with the most. So they tend to be the most grating for us because they feel the most present. I mean, I'd like to think it's unlikely that any of us interacts on a regular basis with killers. So <laughs> me too. The people in our lives that we hate tend to be people who just like are kind of obnoxious or annoying or like a little bigoted, a little sexist. And you're like, I don't like you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't have any killers around for me to be like, well, you're not killing anyone. So you're fine. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> the, the, the thing that's more relatable, I guess. <laughs> the evil, you know, right? Yes. It's the Umbridge versus Voldemort argument, you know, the evil, you know. I mean, honestly, I always found Umbridge far more disturbing. Well, and, and that's what it is, right? It's because mm -hmm. she's the one who actually had power over Harry. Sure, Voldemort murdered a bunch of people. Yeah. And is technically the worst person, similar to Giselle and, yeah. you know, Glockta. It, it's it's. But that. I also think there's something about the gaslighting of, like, pretending to be something other than you are and people believing it. Mm -hmm. Like, that, I think, to me, is, like, a scarier thing, especially with someone who has power over you. Well, she also feels, again, more like, not just you know, that you don't like it because it's familiar, but if you don't, it's more uncomfortable because you can imagine it actually happening to you. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, okay, evil dark wizard Voldemort, you're like that. I mean, yes, that, that would be scary, obviously. But like realistically in my life, do I think I'm going to encounter dark evil wizard Voldemort? No. Am I going to encounter a bureaucrat who's like lying and gaslighting and being umbrage? Like very possibly. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the same with Giselle yeah. and Glockta. I don't yeah. really think I'm going to have a run-in with Glockta. I have had several run-ins with Giselle's. So, you know. Confess. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, love Glockta, though, so much, too. I feel for him. I mean, I know he does really terrible things, but I love him so much. And I just want him to be happy. <laughs>
You don't want Gorse to be happy, but you want Galacta to be happy? <laughs> yes. Yes. Because Galacta's not like a creep about women. He just kills people. He just kills people <laughs> and tortures them. It's fine. Also, in fairness, Glockta, he recollects when he was hot, he was a prick. He was yeah. a woman. But I didn't have to read about learned, it. Exactly. Know? We don't have to be in his head. Like, so if, don't, if we got a, like, a Glockta prequel. I was going to say, don't read perfect. Sharp Ends, because one of the short stories in Sharp Ends is Glockta pre-torture. Oh, no. Well, next month we're reading it, so... <laughs> You're doing Sharp Ends before here at Red Country? We're doing them together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, I was going to say Beck. What I think is the most interesting about Beck um, is I think he's a character that's been done a lot before. And so I'm always so impressed that Abercrombie can bring a new life and a new reality to that character. Like, I I really felt Beck's story of being like, I'm going to go to war and be a hero. And then being like, wow, this really sucks. And this is nothing like what I wanted and I don't want any of it. And you know what? Being home with my mom was actually pretty great. And that's, that's like a, that's a very typical story, I think, but just the characterization of Beck, like I just really felt it. It felt so, I don't know. He really got to the heart. Like he does so well with his characters. Abercrombie does. Yeah. Well, and I, I thought it was so interesting the moment where Beck goes home at the end and his mom's like, well, you've only been gone a few days. And he's like, have I? It feels so much longer. And I was also like, have you? It feels <laughs> like so much longer. <laughs> but because like, you know, the book is so long and there's so much happening, but it really is such a short period of time. But at the same time, if you lived through that, it would feel like, okay, it's only been three days, but you know, it's life changing. It's, right. It's a few days and a few hundred thousand deaths. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, when he finally gets the courage to confess that he doesn't deserve his name mm-hmm. and basically the person's like, yep, you and so many other people. Oh, well, doesn't matter. And you're just like, ugh, yep. Yeah. That's war for you. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Another thing I wasn't expecting was that Calder's father-in-law was the one who was trying to have him killed. <laughs> and that like, whole conversation oh. too is like. You know, I mean, I'm and when he ends with like, you know, well, we're family, so of course we're on the same side. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're not based on being family alone. You just proved that that's not true. Yeah, because yeah. I just always Call thought like, oh, he's like the one one of the guys on Calder's side because he's married to his daughter. But nope, it's like she could find someone else. You know, we we didn't want this. But I mean, it is interesting the way that in general, like. There's the politics of the battle going on, i.e. Mm-hmm. the political reasons why each side wants this hill and they're willing to die on it. Right. But in in the day-to-day, on the boots on the ground, all of the politics of all of that going on, the, the infighting of the North, and how that actually ends up spilling onto the battlefield and affecting how the battle that is not about that, you know, it becomes about that. Just like um, Finry's, you know, maneuvering to try to get her husband back into the good graces and and reclaim kind of the seat that he would have had if his dad hadn't been, you know, a traitor or whatever. That like that ends up, that's not what this battle is about, but it ends up becoming what the battle is about because everybody has their agendas that they are using the battle to forward or to finagle things for Mm -hmm. their own reasons. Yeah. You know what I like about Finry and the way that he wrote her is that she is one of these women who is like angling for better things for her husband and stuff and is kind of like nudging him in the direction she wants him to go. 
but they're happy. Like she's not a villain, which I think is so interesting because a lot of times women like that, women who are ambitious and, you know, can be conniving and stuff are painted kind of as as villains who are unhappy in their relationships or make the person they're with unhappy. And I kind of like the fact that she's not. Well, when she talks about, like, you know? what she's thinking in her mind about, like, he's perfect for me. Like, I checked the list before I married him, and he right. checks all of my boxes. Yeah. It's, it's like, ideal. It's like somebody I can work with or on. <laughs> yeah, and I do love the combo of Finry and Beaz. Like, I like that she is the one who can use him in some ways to leverage herself. Mm-hmm. And that her husband, like you said, Bethany, like her husband recognizes that she's the one who gets him the positions he has. Like he recognizes it. Mm-hmm. And it's also like, but you could also calm down. Like I don't, I don't, yeah. you know, and that's like just a very interesting. That's um, why I loved that conversation where isn't yeah. like that's, that's what also often bothers me in the books that like try to push these, you know, the like angry yelling about women's rights type of things, because then, you know, ha- that it would never have that conversation where she's like, you know, angry that she didn't get her way and she was in everyone's face about it. And afterwards, her husband is like, look, I know why you're angry, but if you had just held your tongue, we could have helped people. And now we're not helping people because you had to say whatever you wanted to say. And like, I like that that conversation happened because he's not saying, woman, know your place. He's like, Mm -hmm. look, I get it. But like, sometimes you got to take the high road if you actually want results. Like I shouldn't, I'm the one telling you this, but you're the strategist. Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I know you know that this is not how to get stuff done. Yeah. I'm like... I don't know. They genuinely seem to care a lot about each other and have like a pretty good marriage. And I don't know. It's interesting. Functional. It's functional. But you know, so the, far I don't trust anything to be functional in the well, first law, but we'll find out. Artie and Glockta are a functional marriage. Artie and Glockta. I love Artie and Glockta. They're definitely much more functional than Giselle and Therese. I wouldn't call them relationship goals, but I am on their side. (laughs) It's partnership goals, I think. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, honestly, I don't think that that's a terrible thing because, and I I do find that interesting. in a world like this one, that's really like the best you can hope for. Yeah. And Artie especially. Like, I think she was in a really rough Mm -hmm. position. I, I really love Artie. She's just, I really love her as a character. And so that, for me, it was like the happiest ending someone could get in that first trilogy yeah it was like okay already not i don't think it would have been a happy ending for her to end up with giselle they would have murdered each other within a month of being married it would have been terrible well it was so unhealthy like it was such an unhealthy relationship and it it was just period and so the partnership is much sweeter for Artie. yeah giselle's just too dumb for Artie. glockta challenges her yeah Yeah. i there's one doesn't and doesn't underestimate her yeah, they're they're good they're a good team yeah. good little team it was funny because when i was in when i'd read number two i was like i really hope Artie and glockta get we get more of that because that's a team so at the end i was like yes this is exactly yeah. what i wanted yeah i was just bummed that we never got her as a perspective character because she was probably my favorite like one of my favorite characters of the whole trilogy Agreed. but like it also i feel like goes to show how well the characterization of her is done because it's easy to forget that she's not a pov character like, i you actually really, didn't know like, you just told me she is <laughs> I thought she was. I thought we got one or two from Artie. No, so she's never She's never a POV character. Artie and is this good person to. I always show people as like, that's how you make a sexually liberated character without going overboard. Like, yeah. That's how you make a true, like, someone who uses her sexuality to get ahead but doesn't become cartoonish or sexist or over the top. Like, Artie is 
a full person. She has yeah. multiple parts of her personality. And that's why I, I ended up falling in love with her so much because it's just so rare for that character to be written very well, especially by a male <laughs> author. You can say that though for like every Abercrombie character. They're like, I've seen a million cardboard cutout versions of this. This proves you can write a character like this. I mean, like Logan is a super cardboard cutout, like a warrior mm -hmm. man of violence who's trying to do better. And then we did it twice, Logan and Shivers. And they're completely distinct individuals and like by themselves and also compared to each other. He just writes people as people, which is apparently rocket science for too <laughs> well, many I, authors. I think, well, I think it's hard to do because, but it's also why his books you know, they're not heavy magic systems in terms of like the fantasy side. They're they're not really like these heavy, like intricate plots. And that's why I think the heroes ends up being one of my favorites because I, I truly do believe it's Abercrombie at his best. He has three days. It's not about things happening or not happening or intricate plots. It is literally about the people. Hmm. And that's what he does best. He can write a person, you know, he knows how to yeah, do it. Yeah, sure can. And you know who we haven't talked about at all? Who has arguably the most tragic arc in this book is Werner Bly. Who's that person? He invented the cheese trap. Oh, oh Bly. But he also, he, he believed wholeheartedly. I said his that... first name way differently. So when you just said that out loud, I was oh. like, who is that? Okay, that's fine. I know who you're talking about now. He believed wholeheartedly that he knew the day that he would die and this wasn't it. And he has that great line about armor is like, is about a state of mind that it admits the possibility that you could be injured. So that's why he won't wear armor. Yeah. Well, his death scene is what pushed this book from a four to a 4.5, I think for me. Like I read that death scene and it was just so good. Like yeah. everything about it was just perfection from beginning to end. And um, that's really when I was like, okay, like, you've convinced me, Abercrombie. The Heroes is a great book. <laughs> you made a believer out of me. And it just took this scene, just like when he's like, well, if I had known she was a liar, I would have worn armor to this fight, basically. <laughs> it's just like, it was funny, but like touching. Well, I just... And um, the choice, too, that he's not going to pass on the sword. It was passed on to him. And he used to think that it was like a thing that was as an honor as much as it is, a blessing as much as it is, as it is a curse. And he's right. like, no, it's all curse. No good. Bury it with me. Don't put this on anybody else. Which I I have questions given like the way that the book ended with Krav. Like, did he end up burying the sword? Did he take it with him when he finally back, went back to war? Like, where is that going to go? I don't know. I think that's... It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I, what what Hillary just said about how like Abercrombie is about people and characters. It's not about an Easter egg of a MacGuffin weapon that will pop up in another place because it's the secret magic sword. Like that's really not what Abercrombie is about. <laughs> well, I mean, I like, I, I don't know. Were you I saying it more in a way like it's going to be some depressing thing in someone else's story because yeah. you and then it becomes the right that like instead story. of I got you. Like, yeah <laughs> kind of like instead of burying it and letting that like you know burden end that it could be something that comes back up again in the future in like a a way that causes harm I don't know. Kra's story really depressed me. I wanted him to go home and be happy, and he was like, "Wow, I suck at this." Like, why did I think I was going to go home and be a carpenter? <laughs> I was like, but I mean, true, I think like a lot, a lot of people who retire, not everybody, but like a lot of people who retire feel like that where they're like, oh, like, this is not. But it also, was realistic. 
but depressing. But also, like, it's it's reminiscent to me, it, you know, it's like the grim dark version of Frodo coming back to the Shire and realizing he can't really live in the Shire anymore. Because, like, okay, in theory, while you're in the midst of, like, all this violence, you're like, oh, I should just go home and have a simple life. And then you get there and you're like, but I've lived a whole life that's, like, in constant violence. I, I don't know how to live like this. Like, I, I mm. idealized it in my head, but I don't, I can't live like that. I am not built for that anymore. Yeah. Um, and like to realize that truth about yourself. It's true. I, I guess know Costa can't handle peace. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> one other question I had was who's the person in the red hood who was like shouting about the the bloody night is back and make like wreaking havoc. Oh, the, the um, Dogman was talking about how, like, yeah, you can just use the name and scare the bejesus out of them. Like, they well, were no, purposely... I know. No, I know, but who was it? Like, there was somebody in a red hood. And, like, we never found out who it was. I don't think. I don't think it matters. <laughs> <laughs> like, I the reveal is that, like, is. they're purposely trying to scare people. Oh, everybody. well, I knew they were purposely trying to scare scare people. But it just, That's that seemed, it seemed like, I don't know. It seems like seemed like something that would matter of, like, who was doing it. Like I who specifically was not who yeah. was ordering it being done? Yeah. I guess there is like a line towards the end. I guess it, it could be um, Sulfur. Because there mm. is a line towards the end that talks about somebody feeling like they had seen him in all of these different places. Oh, it's ba- like, like shape-shifting into him? Yeah. Yeah. So like I wonder if that could be it. Anytime someone's shape-shifting, it's your Sulfur. Yeah. Just pretty, pretty handy guy. Mm-hmm. Any kind of final thoughts on this one i really loved it yeah i was just surprised i wasn't planning on loving it so uh <laughs> I, well, I according to plan honest. i was just surprised at how invested i was in all the characters i will admit like yes some of the battle scenes mm-hmm. did make me cross my eyes still i was just like okay <laughs> but there were some good battle scenes too like particularly very useful all those characters we didn't know when he did like very short vignettes and they all die at the end very good. Just a lot of good commentary, I think. And again, not a book that tries to tell you how to think or feel, but just presents you a lot of information and then leaves you up to decide your own thoughts and feelings, which is just something I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. I always prefer books to do that, which is, I think, why I can only ever read Abercrombie because everybody else wants to tell me what to think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I liked it more than I thought I would because like something that's like three days of battle just doesn't sound on its face like something i would care at all about but i'm I'm curious to know who out of who or what out of what we have seen and learned and encountered and and been introduced to in this book do you want or expect to see more of in later i feel like we'll probably see more of finry possibly i think that would be interesting as well i think with her husband's promotion yes i feel like it's very likely we will see them again yeah somewhere or that they'll have some kind of role to play or someone related to them or something i don't know i mean obviously there's always like the people pulling the strings like bias that are gonna continue popping up of course bias is a given (laughs) yeah i assume shivers is a given i just don't know to what degree i don't know how background they're gonna be you know i would hope we get more focus on the dog man in the future but it may be that he will always be a background character at this point it's just really hard to tell i mean i've always said to read all the books in order so that you get your maximum enjoyment from i'm doing it liana i'm listening to you i'm reading (laughs) i'm saying so like it's not like for no reason it's because Mm -hmm. there is there are things in these books that 
may or may not come up yeah. in later books. Yeah, I don't know that I'm like I think the thing is for me is I don't know that I was that invested in most of the characters in the in ways that I have been in other books. And maybe that's also part of why this is maybe my least favorite and I did I still liked it. Uh you know, mostly positive feelings, but uh What did you rate it? I just finished it like 10 minutes before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know what you rated it <laughs> i'm leaning towards like a three and a half i think that's probably where that will lands. be rounded up to a four on goodreads well we'll see i gotta think about it <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of where i'm leaning which which would make it my lowest rated of the books in that we've read so far but not but still not bad so yeah any expectations for red country I mean, it's I'm kind of excited about the Western thing. I think it'll be fun. I am anti-excited about the Western thing. So look <laughs> at us. I mean, I'm also, I was anti and and continued to be anti. Um, I think I explained it to one or both of you that I was like, well, it's better than a Western because it's first law, but it's less good than the rest of first law because it's a Western. <laughs> so like on the scale, yeah. Westerns are here, first law is here. And it's like in between. So better than, but. I mean, I really enjoy a fantasy Western, so I'm hoping I'll have a good time with it. We'll see. It feels more like a Western than a fantasy. I mean, all of his books have a very pretty low fantasy anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I'm my guess is it's going to be it's not going to be as good as the heroes for me. But I, I think it could be better than Best of Cole just because I was just really met on that one. I give that one I a three stars. I love Best of Cole. So sorry. It's funny. I think it's one. It's probably like my second favorite of all of them so far so it's just switched with the heroes for me you know yeah. <laughs> we've switched those two yeah so yeah I'm, I'm leaving i'm going in with an open mind though i say i mean like for the three standalones and rereading them you know reading them more than once the first time through best of cold definitely my favorite mm -hmm. and the heroes definitely my least favorite and red country like, mm -hmm. and then re reading it now two and three times best of cold i still like it but i don't think there's that much like I love seeing Shivers again like every that's every time I read it I'm like Shivers <laughs> and Casca <laughs> I enjoy Casca mm -hmm. but like it it's not a book that like it has a lot of like just like stuff happening so you always notice stuff because there's just like a lot and so you can't possibly pick up on it the first time but it's not really anything where I'm like oh the second time is when you really see this because now you know and it's different now, like it's not really nothing's really different whereas the heroes um and Red Country a bit is like because you've read the books that come after it because you've read the end of those books that like rereading it like you get more out of it every time really? so like rereading Bester Cold I'm like I still like it because it's good but I'm not wowed by it anymore whereas the, the heroes is kind of like a slow like the first time I was like well there was no plot literally no plot and the second time I was like okay well I know there's no plot this time going in so let's see how we do and I was like actually that was quite brilliant in what it was actually attempting to do I, I think that was actually really good and the third time I was like, yeah, this is quite brilliant. And I think I get more every time. And Red Country just stays exactly the same in my estimation. Like, has not changed, <laughs> never will change. It's just, it just is. Oh, oh, man. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. Like, I'm hoping I'll like it, but. I mean, it's good because it's first law. So, like, characterization, great. Theming, great. The things he does well, he continues to do well. But he himself said that he felt the most burned out mm. writing Red Country. And, like, I think I feel that. But I mm. also always feel burned out by Westerns. So, like, I feel like feeling burnt out goes with the vibe of a Western already. So if you're mm. going to have burnout or a feeling of burnout, 
that's the type of thing to be writing because you're already in burnout zone. <laughs> that's really interesting. I kind of like Westerns. So I don't know. We'll like, see. you know, like Westerns are often like people kind of like at the end of something or mm -hmm. escaping something. It always kind of has this feeling of like an end or like a past or, you know, it doesn't feel yeah. like fresh and new so much yeah. a lot of the time. So like having that feeling of being tired and over yeah. the hill, like yeah. that goes with a Western. Yeah. It does. I would agree. All right. So we'll see next month how it goes. So it is time for On Our Radar, where we'll share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi fantasy and romance we're excited about. Books for today's episode will be primarily released between June 28th and July 11th, 2022, although guest recommendations might be outside of that. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider Supporting us on Patreon. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world-expanding patrons, Trina, Sarah, and Stephanie. You'll make what we do possible, so thank you for your support. And um, I've got a few books to talk about. I don't know about anybody else. I mean, I have a book to talk about. I was telling Leanna, right. I was like, I don't ever know what's happening in new releases. That's okay. Other people tell me what's happening <laughs> in new releases. And then I go, okay. great, I'll go buy it. <laughs> so I, I always say, I literally have new says. releases for this podcast. I'm like, I didn't know that was coming out. I can talk about that. <laughs> you, so Bethany, you tell us. You tell us what we need to go read. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I, I try to keep track of keep track of some of it. I know we have one that Leanna's talked about before, but I let, I'll let her also talk about it again if she <laughs> wants to since it's coming out soon. But June 28th, there's a couple of books coming out. First one I have is A Matter of Temptation by Stacey Reed. This is a historical romance and I really like her romances. She does a good job of writing like really good characters and kind of steamy romances, but with social commentary. This one is fun. It starts out with a heroine who dresses up like her twin brother to go and fight a duel on his behalf because she's a better swordswoman than he is. That's the and plot of Casanova. That's also the plot sort of of motocrossed. <laughs> the Disney original Oh, that's film. true. It is. That's <laughs> totally true. Yeah. Uh, so the hero ends up being uh, or the, the guy that she goes to duel with and he figures out her identity and offers her a job as a secretary and they kind of slowly, you know, develop feelings for each other. What I think is interesting about it, though, is that he's in politics and is kind of a, a bit of a revolutionary. And so it gets into some of the political things of the time in terms of things like women's rights, their um, inability to get things like a divorce or property rights or things like that. And so I like the fact that it explores some of the, the historical things going on. So I really like Stacey Reed for, for historical romances. And then uh, Daughter of Red Winter is coming out that day. <laughs> have you read it yet? I still haven't. I mean to, but. I've started it, but I haven't okay. finished it. So Daughter of Red Winter is the first in a new series by Ed McDonald, who previously wrote the Raven's Mark trilogy, which is one of my all-time favorites. And this new series, he actually originally wrote Daughter of Red Winter first, like years and years ago. But it was mm. like this long manuscript that was like kind of a young baby writer's manuscript. And they're like, no that's not it and it's too long so then he like chopped it up and and put it on the back burner and then wrote the Ravensmark trilogy and then came back to Daughter of Red Winter and like spruced it up and fixed it up and shortened it and here we go it's about a a girl that can see and speak to the dead 
exciting. I've also got two coming out July 5th, but uh, Hillary, if you want to share whatever you've got, you can Well, mine's also. not coming out till November. So That's it fine. feels very- No, Wait, it doesn't matter. I have one for you, Hillary, that you can, you can speak to this better <laughs> than anyone else, Hillary. Speaking Bones is coming out in June. Oh my gosh, Speaking Bones. I've already read it, so I forgot it's not out yet. Speaking Bones by Ken Liu is coming out in June. Let's talk about that one. Okay, um, great. I don't know, Bethany, have you read any Ken Liu? I haven't. It's kind of on my list of things to read at some point. I am like forcing everybody to read Ken Liu and the problem is everyone's liking it. So it's not giving me any reason to stop. Speaking Bones is the fourth uh, and final book in the Dandelion Dynasty, which is Ken Liu is really his only series. He's only otherwise written short stories, which are also excellent. I highly recommend them. I made Liana read them. She sobbed through several. You're not human if you don't sob. Did not warn me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's very, yeah, I guess I should warn people it's heavy. I absolutely loved it. In fact, um, that series, The Dandelion Dynasty, is now in easily in one of my top series of all times. So I really recommend people starting with Grace of Kings if they've ever been interested in him. But yeah, the final one is coming out uh, June 21st. So it's com- a complete series, which I think helps people awesome. want to take the plunge. That's exciting. He doesn't have Rothfuss or Martin syndrome. Well, I mean, this took him a long time to write, though. You know, it was six years between installments. (laughs) It's been consistent. He's been consistent, but I did, I did get to interview him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm kind of a publisher's worst nightmare. I've written one series in like over a decade, (laughs) like, but it's good." So, hey, he's not a publisher's worst nightmare. The publisher's worst nightmares are the aforementioned Mr. <laughs> Rothfuss and Martin. Rothfuss yeah, and Martin. <laughs> it's true. It is true. So July 5th, we have What Souls Are Made Of by Tasha Suri, which I'm really excited for. It's part of this YA remix classics line that they're doing. And this one is a remix of Weathering Heights. What's interesting about it is Heathcliff in this is of South Asian ancestry. And in the original text, he is described as being possibly a person of color, although the specifics are a little bit vague. And so it's interesting that they're having it kind of remix. I'm really, I love Tasha Suri, absolutely adore her writing. This is her first YA book. And I'm curious to see what she does with that. And then also coming out July 5th is The Ruins by Phoebe Wynn. It's a little controversial, but I really liked her first book. I thought it was fun. This one is being pitched as a suspenseful feminist gothic coming-of-age tale with shades of Patricia Highsmith, Rebecca, and Atonement pitched against the sun-soaked backdrop of a summer holiday on the French Riviera. Is there something that it's not doing? (laughs) I don't really care because I really enjoyed her first sort of like gothic thing and some people thought you would not like it Leanna I think it's way too on the nose for you like case in point of like on the nose feminism there's plenty of it but I just enjoyed it for the ride so I'm I'm looking forward to trying this one it was just like every comp ever I know (laughs) I know (laughs) it's true and publicists can't figure out how they're going to pitch a book it happens so yeah, go and check all of those out if you're interested. There are links as always in the show notes or in the video description if you are watching us on YouTube. Thank you so much to Hillary for joining us. This was a lot of fun. And uh, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast. We're your hosts, Bethany and Liana. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Chapter 3 Podcast. And you can also find us on YouTube on our individual channels, which will be linked down below. The next episode will be available in two weeks. I believe I'm going to be back with Izzy with a exciting panel of guests talking about queer historical romances so stay tuned for that and this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days thanks for listening